0: I'm Lonnie Diane Rich and this is How Story Works. It is me again, and here I am by myself in the House Story Works studios, um, but I wanted to kind of sit down and talk to you guys about like all of the stuff that's uh, that's sort of going on here um, and, uh, and how fun it all is. Uh, one of the things I've got going is the Year of Writing Magically workshop. Uh, that has closed for 2023, um, but as I've talked about before, it's 10 months. It's nurturing. It's community. It's so great, and as I plan it in more and more detail now that I actually have people signed up for it. I'm just so excited about it. So what I want to do is tell you that if this is something that you might be interested in for 2024, you can go to yearofwritingmagically.com and down at the bottom of the page, there is a sign up for the mailing list and the mailing list for Year of Writing Magically, you won't even hear from me until it's time to start applying for next year. So it'll be like later in the year, like October, November-ish, that I might start contacting you um, through that um, but it is so exciting and I will be giving you updates on how the workshop is going on how story works uh, because it's really fun and I'm I'm learning new things as I develop it as I keep going into this um, this idea like the first week that what we're going to be doing um, in the class is like unlearning all of the things that we've learned as writers that don't um, that aren't to our benefit you know. Um, you know, things like rip it apart, rip me to shreds, tell me my mom is ugly, that kind of thing. Um, you know, there's so much about writing that can be really toxic. This idea that it has to be good. Actually, when you're drafting, you're supposed to write crap. It is supposed to be Crap, Um, And if it's not, then you're kind of setting yourself up. Um, So there's so many things like that, that I'm so excited to be talking to people about and to be kind of unlearning along with them. Um, You know, one of the things I find over time is that my confidence dwindles as well. Like, I think everybody has confidence issues from time to time. But when you look at people who are like teaching or who have written, who have published, who have, you know, been on the New York Times, right, you know, story experts, you don't think think of them as being kind of lacking in confidence the way that you might feel that you're lacking in confidence. And I'm here to tell you absolutely uh, my confidence wanes all the time. And one of the things that actually increases my confidence is when I'm teaching, because when I'm teaching, I'm connecting with other writers And there is something about connecting with other writers, knowing that I can help them, having answers to their questions. Um, All of those things give me confidence and remind me that I'm actually like really good at what I do. Um, So I'm very excited about that. I'm very excited about Year of Writing Magically. And I'm already pre-excited for Year of Writing Magically 2024 when I've got a year under my belt and I've learned a lot of things and I can update the workshop and kind of fine tune it a little bit more. So anyway, if you're at all interested in learning more about that for next year and um, setting yourself up to write a long form fiction project in 2024, definitely go to yourwritingmagically.com and just sign up for the mailing list and then I'll contact you uh, when the time comes. Um, The other thing that I have been engaging with uh, this week is Elizabeth Gilbert's Big Magic. Um because I'm talking about magic because I'm opening up this workshop by talking about the magic part of things which is the part of things that's kind of like harder to put your back up against all the craft stuff everything that I talk about and how story works is the kind of thing you can put your back up against right it is the kind of thing that um that you can look at and and do the math you know and be like okay you know what is my central narrative conflict how is my structure going how is my pacing going that's all like kind of mathy, you know. But the thing that truly makes your work yours, that makes it different, that makes it interesting, that grabs people. It's your magic. And that can sometimes be harder to get to. Uh, The Year of Writing Magically workshop opens up with a two-month discovery phase, right, which is basically all about magic. It's during discovery and drafting that you kind of want to put your craft away and just have as good a time as you possibly can and get excited about all the things that you're doing. And so because of that, I've been really thinking about Elizabeth Gilbert's Big Magic. I find myself quoting her a lot. I find myself thinking about things that she said, thinking about ideas that she's had um, in Big Magic. And um, so the thing is, is that, like, Generally, writing books are hit or miss for me uh, because they tend to be about things that work for the author who wrote the book. uh, And those things may or may not work for you specifically, depending on the genre that you write, depending on the kind of fiction that you write. Some people will write um, something that is all about like this is how you write a screenplay when the reality is that like, the the actual principles of writing fiction are applicable across genre and across form. Um, but the person who's writing the book knows how to do this very one specific thing. And so they tell you how they do it. But if you're not a pantser like them, or if you're not a plotter like them, or if you don't think like them, or if the kind of work you're doing isn't the kind of work that they're doing... Um, That can throw you out of that book. That can make it kind of difficult. Writing books in general, I struggle with recommending. But Big Magic, I have to say, is something that I would recommend without hesitation for any writer at any stage in their process. Big Magic is about accessing that magical part. It basically, like if you have Big Magic and How Story Works... I don't know that you need anything else. Although I would say Bird by Bird, Anne Lamott, real good. But that's more like um like a memoir of her experience with some advice thrown in, which also I think Big Magic is as well to a certain degree. Uh, Stephen King's on writing I think has that, and there are times where Stephen King starts getting into giving writing advice that I would ignore um, if I were you. I don't think that it applies to everyone. I think if you write the way that he writes, then yes, it could apply to you. But it doesn't. It's not something that can be really applicable for anybody. It any stage. But Big Magic, I think, is just one of those books that you absolutely can, without hesitation, just recommend to every writer. Um, So with that in mind, I just wanted to kind of like, as I'm going through and I'm thinking about this book again, I'm spending time in it, um, I wanted to pull out some of my favorite quotes from Elizabeth Gilbert's Big Magic. One of them, of course, is done is better than good. Right. Um, I absolutely love that one. And I know that I've repurposed it a million times in, in things the way that I recommend it is, you know, good is not the goal. Done is the goal. And I stand by that. It's just a variation on what she said that completely opened up my mind on this topic. Another quote I love from her is, The older I get, the less impressed I become with originality. These days, I'm far more moved by authenticity. Attempts at originality can often feel forced and precious, but authenticity has quiet resonance that never fails to stir me. Oh my God. Like, I cannot even tell you how much I stand up and do a hallelujah wave, you know, whenever I read that quote, whenever I encounter it. Yes, like, uh, you've heard me talk a million times about how we fetishize originality in our writing. And I think that that is really misplaced. And that while there is definitely a value to the twist and the surprise and the new take on something, at the same time, we read, those of us who read, engage, and again, read is movies you know, books. Um, It could be graphic novels. It could be video games. Reading is just engaging with a story, you know. Um, So when I say read, please understand that I am not in any way saying that books are better, you know, ways to engage with stories than anything else. But when we go back and read the same, you know, fiction over and over and over and over again, even though we know how it's going to end, we do that because there is something authentic in it that speaks to us. And that it is really the authentic. That we go back for. We might enjoy an original take or something with a with a like unexpected twist once or twice. But unless it also has authenticity, it's not something we're going to return to over and over and over again. And I think that authenticity is the big draw. Authenticity is the long tail. Authenticity is the thing that you absolutely want to chase. So whenever I read that quote from Elizabeth, I just I think that's amazing. Um, Another one that I really loved from this book. Is, is this one. The universe buries strange jewels deep within us all and then stands back to see if we can find them. I absolutely love that. I think that that gives you the sense that like your magic is within you. The universe has already buried it there. And it's just waiting to see if you can find it. That within you is the magic and the inspiration, the strange jewels that you need to do the work that you want to do creatively. And I think that this is one of the most wonderful ways to think about that. Rather than that, it's not there. It's just that in your search, you haven't found it yet. You know, if you're if you're struggling with finding your the magic that's going to inspire the next thing that you do. Um, knowing that is within you knowing that it does exist and that you can find it. That is a wonderful thing. I would definitely you know, that's the kind of thing I would put on a post it note and like stick on your corkboard or the edge of your computer screen. Uh, so that you see it all the time, make it a desktop um, for your computer or something like that, something where you'll see it all the time and just remind yourself that whatever everything you're looking for it's already in you the universe has already hidden it there for you to find Um, and the last one that I really love from her and again this isn't the last one this is the last one I put in the show notes because this literally could be an entire episode in and of itself getting dangerously close to copyright violation uh, is I love this quote do whatever brings you to life follow your own fascinations obsessions and compulsions trust them create whatever causes a revolution in your heart and that, to me, just feels like it's, it's absolutely the starting gun, you know, for your creative endeavors. Um, create whatever causes a revolution in your heart, because those things that speak to your heart are naturally authentic. And when you chase them, you're working with authenticity and you're going after something that will speak to other people as well, people who need your story. So hopefully that has given you some inspiration for whatever it is that you are currently working Working on or wish you were working on. Um, I love this book. In case you couldn't tell, link is in the show notes. Um, the other thing that has been going on with me this week is um, sleep, right? Everybody's talking about sleep. Everybody is so excited about sleep. And you're seeing articles absolutely everywhere. And you're getting the exact same advice All the time. Like, I've seen all the same advice all the time, and I've ignored it because I'm like, nah, that's not really going to do anything for me. But (laughs) what happened like last week is that Ian went out to dinner with a friend of his who is a doctor. And Ian started talking about like his struggles with sleep because. We all have those struggles, right? Um, And Carl was basically like, you idiot. I'm one of your best friends. I'm a doctor and I specialize in this. So you really should have talked to me about this a long time ago. And he gave Ian a bunch of advice and Ian came home and told me all the advice. And then I was like, well, if Carl says it, you know, even though I've seen like a lot of the same advice in a million different places now that Carl has said it. Now I'm like, all right, fine. So, um, so anyway, the advice is this. And tell me if you've heard this before. No screens, right? That means no screens. But Carl says that an e-ink Kindle, like your paper whites and all that, is okay, which is really, really good because otherwise I wouldn't be able to do this. Um, also, he says it's not about when you go to sleep. It's about when you wake up. Wake up at the same time every day, whether you feel like it or not, whether you have stuff to do or not, no more sleeping in, right? So you set a time that you wake up every day. Now, I will say that I'm struggling with this a little bit this week. I have thrown my back out. It's it's fine. It's better. It's getting better. And um and I was very whiny about it until I went online and did a search on people who throw their backs out, um and discovered that it's I have like like compared to what other people go through when they throw their backs out. I really shouldn't be complaining. I have full range of motion. I have like now at this point, it's a twinge in my back. And because of that, I have to sleep in a recliner chair like an old lady. And I'm waking up a number of times because depending on if I like shift around or whatever, sometimes it'll hurt and I'm waking up. Um, So I have been catching sleep as I can when I can um, and have not been waking up at the same time every day. But I do find that if I'm waking up between like 530 and 630, like that's my ideal time time. So I'm going to shoot for that as soon as I get better and have more control over my sleep. Um, But the other thing that he said, of course, is no naps, which also is a problem when you're getting interrupted sleep and then you're exhausted during the day. But he's like, no naps. This is what you got to do. So I'm going to tell you, uh, I have done one of these things. (laughs) Which is the no screens, right? That's the thing I can do. So I've moved my phone, my iPad, like everything out of the bedroom, right? We have a TV in the bedroom, but it's never on. So it doesn't really count as a screen, I don't think. Um, but we have no other place in the apartment to put it. So right now, we're just not worrying about that. Um But basically, he says, he also says, like, don't even have a TV in the bedroom, like the bedroom is for sleeping and sex. And that's it. Like, that's all you should be doing in there. Um, Now, we live in a very, very tiny apartment. So we have multi purpose, a lot of spaces. So there's only so much that we can do about that. But if that's something that's possible for you, I recommend this advice, because Oh, my God, um, it's been like three nights. And even with my back pain, like even with everything, I have just done where I don't have my phone next to me, everything is in my office, it's locked up in the office at night so my phone um, just everything he says he says the watches are okay like if you wear an Apple watch or like a samsung or like one of those smart watches or whatever to like track it that's fine those are fine as far as screens there's not that much you can do in it um, and as long as it's not interrupting you or whatever then it's fine um, but basically like all of this stuff is gone and at night I'm just reading like I got myself a brand new Kindle because I figured give myself a little treat help me motivate myself to get over this hump because I've had trouble reading for a while and for a long time it was because of the trauma but most recently I am like able to read in a way that I wasn't when I was hugely traumatized but um, the problem with me is that I just am so easily distractible like I have this um, urge to check my phone like every you know I don't want to say every 30 seconds because it's embarrassing so I'm not going to say that, but it is very, very frequent that I feel this need to check my phone. And so the first night I just got the Kindle, I was reading in bed and this is what I was trying to read in bed. And then I had to move to the recliner because my back, Ugh. anyway, um, do you care about all that detail? Probably not. Um, but anyway, so I had the Kindle and I was reading it and I finally got over that hump, you know, where I had this urge to just check and check and check and check. Um, and I ended up reading Nicely, comfortably for like an hour and something in me just kind of relaxed. Like it felt like something inside me had been clenched for a really long time and then it just relaxed. And so for the last couple of nights, that's what I've done. I've had the Kindle by my side. I have a book and a book light um, and that's it. Um and it has been amazing and I'm doing more reading in books which is good. Um, again, reading books is not better than anything else, but I, because I write books, like I want to read books, you know. Um, and uh, so yeah, I I think it's incredibly helpful advice. Uh, the rest of it, waking up every day at the same time and no naps, definitely going to be moving toward that, and can update you with my progress if anybody's interested. But the point is, until a doctor. I knew and trusted told me the same advice I've been reading in all those fucking listicles on the internet for such a long time. I just didn't trust the advice. I was like, yeah, that sounds stupid to me. What's the difference between a phone and a book? like I'm just looking at something. I'm just reading something, but it has to do with like the, the quality of the light that comes out at you. Um, and Kindles are, you know, they're e-inks, so they're not exactly the same thing. Um, and it has to, like, there's a whole bunch of stuff. There's a whole bunch of research on it. I would say if you can do it, I would love to hear from y'all tweet me at Lonnie Dine Rich on Twitter. If Twitter still exists by the time this goes up, you can email me Lonnie, Lonnie Dine Rich. I would love to hear your progress with this. Cause I think it's kind of fascinating. Um, Um, But anyway, uh, uh, listen to the advice, do what you can, you know, try to to work your life into a situation like this as much as you can. Because if you are struggling with sleep, then, you know, I think, I think, I think you should listen to Carl. All right. With that done, we're going to take a quick break and I will be right back. All right, we're back. Um, For those of you who are not aware, I am writing a newsletter at Substack called Dear Writer. Um, And once again, say it with me. Link is in the show notes. But for those of you who don't want to, it's very easy. It's dearwriter.substack.com. And the newsletter is basically what it's like to live as a writer, um, which I'm really interested in lately. Um, So it started out as kind of, you know, an experiment. I was doing like daily, like writing advice, business, and, like, quotes and inspiration, a whole bunch of stuff. And then I just went into a, you know, kind of, like, just doing, like, essays and stuff. Um, and finally, like, I've landed where I am. Um, it's it's really about the life of a writer and what it is to be a writer and how, no matter what it is that we're thinking about or talking about or whatever, it always comes back to writing. Um, and I think I spent all these years developing a story theory. That was great. Um, but now I'm a little tired of talking about about it I think Um, you know the book is out how story works is out it's available everything is in there and now I kind of want to do something new like I get bored so goddamn easily I still love stories and I could talk about specific stories all day long as anyone who heard the last episode of how story works how I talked about the half of it can testify Uh, but now I'm having fun trying new things and one of the things I've been playing with in dear writer is essay writing Um, I haven't done a lot of essay writing. Um, I did a lot more when I was younger. I was a humor columnist um, for AOL for a while in like my mid 20s. I had a few essays published in parenting magazines in the early aughts. Um, But then I started writing long form fiction and I never really looked back. I've, I've had blogs from time to time, that sort of thing. But I haven't really like developed my essay writing game you know. Um, but there are some skill sets that I'd really like to develop with essay writing, and that is the storytelling within good essay writing. Um, I'd like to incorporate storytelling. I'm kind of inspired by the way that Rachel Maddow does it on her show on MSNBC. She starts with some story. You've no idea how she's going to meaningfully connect it to what is going on now in the news. And then she does. And when she does, the light from the story that she told kind of illuminates what's happening and gives it context. And I really love that approach to essay writing. Um, it's simple. It's elegant. I really love it, but I'm not great at it. Um, I, I, I can write fiction like in a fiction format and I can tell stories, you know, but like in this short, like telling a story that reflects on like the theme of the essay I'm still developing that skill set, but it makes me really excited to come back every week and write a new Dear Writer. Um, and I like that. I like that it gives me something to get jazzed about. Um, so, you know, is Dear Writer about writing? Like, yeah, you know in the way that everything for writers is about writing we're little magpies for meaning grabbing glittery little things from what we find around us and weaving our treasures into the fabric of whatever we're making so yeah it's about writing but also i'll talk about pretty much everything and i often get into like deep philosophy which is weird He's like, I know nothing about, I mean, okay, I know some things about philosophy. I am married to a man who has more background in philosophy than I do, which again, is not a high bar, but he knows a lot more about it than I do. And I've had a lot of friends who've been deeply into philosophy. And so I sort of like picked it up through osmosis kind of secondhand. Um, But, but I, you know, I end up thinking about things and trying to put together ideas. And a lot of times I do that in the essay. And so anyway, In that vein, here is a reading of my favorite Dear Writer essay from this month. It's called No, But Joy. But after publishing, I realized I wished that I'd named it Thank You, Tim Minear. So that's what I'm going to call it today. So it's my stuff, and I can do that. So hopefully you'll like it. Thank you, Tim Minear. Dear Writer, Many years ago, while watching the television show Angel after my first run through Buffy left me with a bereft feeling of not enough, I tripped over the most powerful single line of philosophy I've ever encountered. I think about this single line of dialogue frequently, at least once a week for the last 15 years or so. I've used this line of dialogue when talking to my kids about death, religion, the meaning of life. I've used it when talking to friends going through hard times. I've used it for myself when things look so bleak, I could not imagine a time where I was not in constant pain every minute of every day. That line is this. If nothing we do matters, then all that matters is what we do. The line happened toward the end of the 16th episode of the second season, an episode called Epiphany, written by Tim Minear. And it is a great episode, but it's not going to make any of the greatest episodes of television ever lists. I don't think any Angel episodes would make that list, with the possible exception, if it's a long list, of the fifth season masterpiece, Smile Time. Angel is a good show, but it's not, well, it's not great. It has some impressive highs, but also some lamentable lows. Most of the people who still talk about Angel only do so because of its adjacency to Buffy. But I'm not here to talk about the show. I'm here to talk about The Line. The Line. If nothing we do matters, then all that matters is what we do. Ian is writing his script for his Epiphany video right now. And we've been doing a Buffy Angel rewatch where we just finished watching Reprise, the Angel episode right before Epiphany. And so between watching this part of the show again and talking through Ian's thoughts with him, I've been thinking even more frequently about this one transcendent line in a show that's honestly kind of forgettable most of the time. If nothing we do matters, then all that matters is what we do. As Ian was taking a jaunty stroll through the nihilist territory in his thoughts, nothing matters, human existence is meaningless, we're all going to die anyway, my response to everything he walked through was, no, but joy. Joy. I don't think he understood what I was saying, and honestly I knew what I meant to say, but I couldn't express it fully. So it came out like pretty much everything I say when I can't quite express the entirety of what I mean. It came out chipperish. Here's the thing. I'm kind of a positive penny. The name of my media company, Chipperish Media, is a portmanteau of chipper and gibberish, and that is about as accurate a description of me as ever there was. I will see the bright side in almost any situation. And while the last five or six years have included a series of debilitating kidney punches from both darkness and despair, I have found myself returning to my natural state of chipperish, which results in most of the people in my life giving me loving pats on my naive little noggin when I say things like, I think it's going to be okay. And I get that. I see their side of it. Things are pretty dire. Except, Really, they've always been dire. It was just that many of us didn't know just how dire they were. And the reason things are dire is because the insidious power structures of the past are toppling and power doesn't go down quietly. It sucks as many people into its gaping maw as possible to make sure that if anyone's left to remember this victory, they will label it Pyrrhic at best. So I get it. Things are gonna be okay, maybe for the future of humanity as a whole, Maybe. But from a very real perspective, things are already not okay. Lives have been tragically lost. People have been left behind in droves to starve, suffer, drown, freeze, or just die when they might have been fine had they not had the audacity to be poor in a society that does not give a fuck. But here's the reality. We are all going to die. One day, you and I and everyone reading this newsletter right now will be dead. Everyone we love will be dead. Eventually, the earth will no longer be able to sustain life. And then sometime after that, the sun will consume the world, and there won't even be anything to remind any future life forms that we were ever here. It's all nothing. No argument. Except if nothing we do matters, then all that matters is what we do. See, this is what I love about nihilism. It's the way that if you continue to follow it through, it brings you to the understanding that the miracle has already happened. It is happening every minute, every day. We are here now. Consciousness is the only thing capable of knowing there is a future, of being able to imagine and predict the future, of being able to remember the past. So we, with our magical consciousness, often think that our importance is rooted in our permanence in leaving a legacy behind through great works of art or incredible feats of engineering or technology, or at least through our progeny and the passing on of our genes. We are so brainwashed by this false ideal of permanence that we forget the mind-blowing miracle that is our existence in this very moment. Right now, the fact that we exist at all means that the deal is done every imprint you leave on the lives of the people around you is your permanent imprint nothing that ever happens in the future will make any of your life unhappen you exist you are here in this now for this moment and that means that you've already done the most miraculous thing any consciousness can do you existed being remembered isn't what it's about. Being is all that you need to accomplish, and you already accomplished it. So, in that knowledge that everything you need to do is already done, that the very fact that you have ever had a now means that you will never unhave that now, it's time to decide what, if nothing we do matters, then all that matters is what we do, even means. I think it means that the most precious thing in the universe is right now, and we have a choice as to what we're going to do with our right now. And maybe we're gonna use our right now at this moment for something mundane. You're gonna eat a burrito, I'm gonna scratch my butt. That's okay, we have already performed the miracle. I can butt scratch all I want and that miracle will not be undone. Taking this line of reasoning one step further, if all that matters is what we do, then everything we do matters. Because we had this series of moments, this series of nows with which to do something, it matters. There are more right nows coming, and with them, you might make someone laugh. You might hug someone who needs it. You might rescue a dog. You might be kind to a cashier who's had a rough day. Or you might lie to someone who loves and trusts you. You might kick a puppy. You might say something shitty to a friend. And let's say all of these are of the same importance. Let's remove the moral question behind any of these choices. They all create meaning. And meaning is the currency of the universe. So let's just say they all have equal value. All meaning is equal. But you get to choose the kind of meaning you create. You can create meaning through suffering, either your own or that of others. That's your choice. But you can't choose, right? Some of your choices in the past, which by this line of philosophical meandering are just as permanent as anything ever can be, were certainly not always creating meaning that resulted in joy. And not all of the choices that the people around you made that affected you were chosen for the sake of joy. Sometimes joy isn't possible, and that's okay. Like I said, your job in the universe is to exist here and create meaning, which you do without even trying. But most of the time, you can choose. And if joy, love, or kindness are an option, you get what I'm saying? I think that's what I meant by, no, but joy. It wasn't eloquent, and it wasn't clear. And if Ian didn't get what I was getting at, it was through no fault of his own. But if you knew that there was no moral attribution to the kind of meaning you created, no punishment for evil, no prizes for good, and you knew that your job was simply to create meaning, which was going to happen no matter what you did, but on occasion you could choose joy, love, and kindness, then why wouldn't you? Why wouldn't all of us, when joy was available, choose it? So while what is awesome about this line is the way you can ride its helix shape for days and always be delivered right back to the place where you started. When I run through that loop enough, I find that one word subtly changes. If nothing we do matters, then all that matters is what we do slowly becomes. If nothing we do matters, then all that matters is what we choose. All right, everyone, that is it for this episode of How Story Works. I will be back next month with author Kim Sherwood. Do you know about Kim Sherwood? She's the writer specifically chosen by the Ian Fleming estate to continue writing Bond novels, and she's bringing them into the common era. Her first Bond book, Double or Nothing, releases in the United States in April, and I am so excited to have you all hear from her. Thank you for hanging out with me today. I will see you next time. Now go write.